0: So please turn with me to Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. This is where we will behold and consider the wonders of God this morning. Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. question we uh, addressed in small group just this last week is, one we hopefully all say yes to. Do you want to grow in your faith? Do you want to grow in spiritual maturity? Do you want to look more like Jesus? That's what we saw just this last week. Uh, uh, Just this last time we were in Mark, Jesus made the disciples look like him. Do you want to look more like Jesus, conform to the image of the Son? Well, I noted last week that God often takes, or last last time uh, in Mark, that God often takes us through seasons that are marked with a higher-than-normal degree of uncertainty. And he does this for the purpose of increasing our faith. We observe that we are always utterly dependent upon God, a verse we have continually gone back to in Adult Course Seminar as we are looking into the Trinity, is 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. As Pastor Cody said when we were talking about this verse— you and I, we do not even breathe apart from God. We do not even breathe the breath in our lungs apart from Christ. We exist through Christ. So we always are utterly dependent upon God. But in these seasons of uncertainty that come about, that awareness of our dependency is, is heightened. And it's it, it's these times of uncertainty, then, that become the rich soil for God to increase our faith, for our faith to grow in. It's an uncertainty that God calls us to higher faith. Think of Jairus and his daughter when she died. Do not fear Jairus, only believe. That's what Jesus said. So this is when God works maturity in us, conforms us to his Son, the image of his Son, and he does this by showing us more of who he is, that we would see and know him. Again, in small group, we were looking at uh, Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, Ephesians three fourteen through 21, and we observed that Paul prays for the faith and spiritual growth of the Ephesians, that they would be f- filled with all the fullness of God, and he prays to that end, he prays this, that they would be empowered to grasp and know What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is the key then to increased faith, spiritual growth. It's becoming more familiar with experiencing and knowing, reckoning with this massive reality that God loves you. And he shows that immeasurable love for us most clearly in Christ. So in our most uncertain times, God desires to show us more of who he is, more of his glory, more of his beauty, more of his love for us. And and Mark has been showing us this all along. And it's becoming increasingly clear that the disciples, the twelve, they must see and know Jesus as the Son of God. They, too, need Jesus and his love. Can we miss this? Well, the disciples, they seem like they miss it quite often. Um, especially here in the next couple of mar- narratives. But therefore, it would uh, to, just recognizing that fact, it would be a shame to go through some uncertain times when you have great need in your life, in your family, in your church, and to come out on the other side having all those needs met, all the uncertainty wiped away, but to come out on the other side and not have grown in your faith, not have known Christ more through it, Not looking more like Jesus, having all of our uncertainty done away with, it would be worthless if we did not end up looking more like Christ. But, here's the patience of the Lord. He continually, over and over and over again, shows us himself and his love for us. And he's going to do that here again, display his perfect patience towards his disciples here in Mark. Uh, we've already noted that the message of uh, of Mark is that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and he surprisingly serves or, uh, suffers in order to save his people, and the call is to follow him. It's the whole message of Mark. Mark is showing Jesus to be the Son of God, and the, 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 the call to us in light of this is to follow Jesus. So the disciples... Here in this string of narratives, become the twelve become increasingly put under the microscope, as we said last time. We just saw, miraculously, these bumbling, unbelieving, hard-hearted disciples look exactly like Jesus as they went on their pilgrimage two by two, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, and healing the sick. And Mark makes clear that, that they look like Jesus because Jesus empowered them to look like him. And, and disciples, then, we saw, will follow Jesus even in the face of uncertainty. Even if that uncertainty is not only just rejection by the world, but death. So disciples will look like Jesus, and they will follow Jesus even at great cost. But the disciples, the twelve in that narrative, were not merely dehumanized conduits of power. Disciples are also stunningly, against all odds, just think of yourself, an object of God's love. And the disciples grow in knowledge of God's love for them in Christ. So... We've seen these disciples walk in power. Now will they walk in the knowledge of God's love for them. So here in this passage, Jesus aims to show his disciples, the 12, his love for them by revealing more of who he is, pressing heavily this weight of reality of who he is upon them. And he does this by quite literally dramatizing and acting out scenes from the Old Testament that prophetically point to him. Essentially, Jesus says to the disciples, the very thing that Paul says to the Ephesians, you need to see me for who I am. You need me and my love. So look with me now at our passage, Mark six thirty through 44. We will consider this passage in three parts. First, in verses 30 through 34, we see part one, sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. Then, second, part two, verses 35 through 38, we see people without bread. Sheep without a shepherd, part one, people without bread, part two. And finally, in verses 39 through 44, we see Jesus, the good shepherd and the giver of the bread of life. So look with me now at verses 30 through 44, sheep without a shepherd. I'll read through verse 33 first. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, and he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest awhile, For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw they, them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So I know some of you are saying, hey, You preached through verse 32 last week. Why are we going in reverse and going back to verse 30? We heard all this. Well, you're right. I did preach through that. And we saw there that in the greater context of redemptive history, this is what awaits the disciple. This is what awaits the Christian who has followed Christ through all the uncertainties of life, counted the cost, pilgrimaged through this world. What awaits them is rest with Christ in eternity. But here, the disciples, while Jesus is very interested in giving them that rest, and and seeing their physical recuperation, their mental and emotional refreshing, we're already seeing shades of Jesus' love for them, and Jesus as a shepherd for them. Here, the disciples, though, are very fixed firmly in, in history. Very much not... At eternity, they're still in the midst of time, right? And so, this rest doesn't come yet. <laughs> they, they have to go back to work. Even, even here, we see that while they're there with Jesus, many were coming and going, and, and pro- those many coming and going are probably seeking ministry. They had no time to eat. And so, when they attempt to get away for a little respite, the people see them, and it must not be very far because they're able to run ahead and beat them. And we see this in verse 34. When he went ashore, Jesus, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So where you or I, our reaction, uh, we don't see the disciples reaction here, but knowing them, it was probably like, right? We thought we were about to get a break and, and not, but. But here we see Jesus move to compassion, so let let 's draw out a couple of, of points here. This entire miracle that we 're about to see, very well known, is in the context of what compassion we 've seen this word before in mark in, in mark one forty one remember the leper who had been a leper for years, comes to Jesus, falls before him, and Jesus is moved to compassion. Now, this is not simply a mental, shallow, emotional recognition or feeling sorry for someone. We, we said there that this word actually conveys the idea of, of a visceral reaction, a feeling in your gut. We are all familiar with that, when you see something that just moves you in your gut. That's, that's what's happening here. Jesus is moved to compassion in, in his guts, in, in the heart, in the seat of who he is at the sight of these people. Why? Well, we get the reason. The second element here in this passage, they are like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. In the Old Testament, the religious leaders are often referred to as, as the shepherd of God's the shepherds of god's people these people are not getting the care they're not getting the spiritual nourishment they need from the religious leaders of the day they are laboring under the heavy weight of a legalistic system and they are broken and jesus sees them lost they need a shepherd Think of the work a shepherd does. Amy's grandparents used to be shepherds and sheep herders in the San Juan Mountains arranged in the southwest uh, Rockies of Colorado. And, and one of Amy's family members, I, I won't say who, once worked the sheep with them, and to this day, they cannot eat lamb because, because the smell of cooked lamb, they associate it with working with the sheep, and they can't, they can't eat it. So what's the point? Well, the point is this. A shepherd's work is not hands-off work. Shepherds intimately care for the sheep. They walk amongst them. They feed them. They get down on their level. They shear them. They trim their hooves. They help them give birth. They, they, they heal them when they're sick and bind their wounds. And they come away smelling Just like the sheep. These people that Jesus sees need a shepherd like that. Someone who will stoop down and care for their needs. Who will take their life and keep them. Who will have compassion on them. These are shepherdless people and it moves Jesus to compassion. The phrase is important for another reason. Only Mark makes this observation in this narrative. No other parallel account does that they are shepherd. They are like sheep without a, a shepherd. Only Mark says this. So it's worth digging a little deeper into this, this, uh, this role, this word shepherd. First, uh, in the Old Testament, we see that, that David will be the shepherd of God's people. Think of Ezekiel 34, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall be he shall feed them and be their shepherd. So David, a promised one like David will be the shepherd of God's people. Second, the Old Testament makes clear that God, Yahweh, the Lord himself is the shepherd of his people. We heard the verse this morning, Isaiah 40. Behold the Lord God, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and he will gently lead those that are with young. And of course, we read this this morning as well for our uh, responsive reading called to worship, Psalm 23. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so, what, what, what does the Lord, as the shepherd of his people, do in Psalm 23? He leads them in paths of righteousness. And what is Jesus' next move here? Verse 34, he teaches them many things. Jesus feeds the people with the truth Of God's Word. Mark is already setting the stage for us to see that Jesus is the promised David, the shepherd of God's people. Moreover, he's setting the stage for us to see that Jesus is Yahweh, God, in the flesh, the shepherd of the people. So, the scene is halfway set. This is a shepherdless people, directionless, lost, in need, and that reality moves Jesus to compassion. This is a good note for us to to take. Sometimes we may be hesitant to come to Christ because of the things we see in our life, because of the brokenness we feel. This is what awaits compassion. Don't hesitate. Come to him. So the... The scene is halfway set. These people still have another need that will complete the setting of this stage for Jesus to reveal more of who he is and the extent of his love. We're beginning to see Jesus as Yahweh in Psalm 23, and I think we will see that more clearly as we move ahead. Look with me at part two, verses 35 through 38. People without bread. And when it grew late... His disciples came to him and said, "This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages by themselves uh, to buy themselves something to eat." It's the disciples always come across as, as so observant, right? This is a desolate place, and the hour is now. Late. <laughs> that just it's speaking a little bit just to kind of how Mark is casting them for us, right? And they say, send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and, go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. So first, here we see that Jesus teaches the crowd, and, it, and it's growing late into the evening. And, and certain elements of this seem to suggest that Jesus is intentionally setting the stage here for the miracle he's about to perform. Jesus is not lost in thought. Jesus is not taking rabbit trails or losing track of time like I might often do in adult course seminar. No, he is doing this for a reason. Three, a, a few things, a couple of things to, to note that may point to this reality. First, the disciples recognize that the reason the people are still here is because Jesus has kept them here. What do they say to him? Send them away. This send away, we can literally, we can, we can, we can also translate this as release them. Jesus, you have kept these people here captive. Release them. Shut this thing down. It's getting late. So that's the first thing. Why would Jesus have kept them there? Well, let's remember the context. The disciples have just returned from their gospel mission where they displayed divine authority and divine dependence on God in the face of uncertainty. No food, no money, no extra clothes, no secure place to stay, and God provided for all their needs. However, here, when faced with a situation where there is need, their mind immediately reverts back to Earthly things. They don't see a way in which this problem could be solved. Jesus, these people need to eat. Let them go to the marketplace. They can't even conceive of the reality that Jesus could do something. Jesus knows this. He knows his disciples need to be continually called to higher and higher faith. How easily we forget. So, Jesus intentionally creates an uncertain, even impossible situation to show more of who he is. Notice the exchange. The disciples point out that people need food, and Jesus says they should give them food. The disciples acknowledge this is impossible. 200 denarii uh, wouldn't be enough to buy, and, and with all the kind of variables that come in with comparing what money and wages and currency was back then, 2,000 years ago, to what it is today, some commentators know that it's probably something like $10,000. So this is for 5,000 plus people, right? Matthew tells us that 5,000 men besides the women and children, massive crowd. The point is that in terms of earthly economics, even the local marketplace probably would have trouble producing the amount of food in a and in such an immediate time that this is, this is virtually impossible. So, so why does Jesus say this? Well, he's intentionally put his disciples in the middle of an uncertain, impossible situation to show more of who he is, more of his glory, more of his beauty, more of his love for them. And it's in the context of loving these other people that Jesus aims to do this for the twelve. If we need more evidence, John 6, 6 makes this abundantly clear. This is the only miracle account that appears in all four Gospels, only one. Makes it pretty significant, I think. In John 6, John tells us that Jesus asked the disciples about feeding all these people in order to test them, for he himself knew what he would do. So John's telling us as much, right? Jesus wants his disciples to move to greater faith in them. He wants them to grow. There's also kind of a prophetic element to this, isn't there? The disciples are the ones who will end up giving these people the bread, and ultimately they're the ones who end up giving the bread of life to people, the gospel. So, I think the stage is now set for us, that we have sheep without a shepherd, we have people without bread, and we have the disciples in need of more faith, in need of a clearer understanding of who Jesus is. So look with me then at verses 39 through 44, the shepherd and the giver of bread. So first, Jesus is the shepherd. We must, to see this, we must look backward in order to see forward. And what I mean by that is we look back, like we've done a little bit into the Old Testament, to see what this is ultimately pointing to. Do you see an unusual detail here? Just a little detail that doesn't appear in any other parallels of this narrative. Luke, John, Matthew... What is it? It's this little word, green. Jesus makes them to sit down on the green grass. And another detail to note is where we read the word sit, the original language actually conveys the idea of lay down, recline, as if reclining at a table to eat. This is how they ate in this time, reclining at a table. So what what does Mark show Jesus to be doing? Jesus is making the people lie down in green pastures so he can feed them and satisfy their need. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You prepare a table before me, Psalm 23. Jesus is showing the people and the disciples by this enactment, this dramatization of Psalm 23, that he is their God. He is their shepherd. Think of Psalm 23 in light of this. Jesus, Yahweh, the Lord, the shepherd of his sheep. Jesus will lead you. Jesus will restore your soul. Jesus will be with you. Jesus will comfort you. Jesus will prepare a feast for you. He will anoint you. And Jesus' goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You will dwell in his house forever. Jesus does this through the gospel. We We may have trouble seeing these things now, but the promise is he will. When we get to the end of our days and look back on our life, what we will see is in all the uncertain times... Jesus was shepherding us. His goodness and mercy was with us. And we will dwell in his house forever. And we will feast at his table and tell stories of our great shepherd leading us. Even through valleys of deep darkness. Even through So he's showing this to, his, to the people and to the disciples if, if they will catch it. Jesus is the good shepherd. But as we will see later, not surprising, the disciples kind of miss it. Which means we can as well. So how will we ultimately be convinced? How will the twelve ultimately be convinced who Jesus is, his love for them, that he's the good shepherd? He will lay down his life for the sheep. This leads to our second observation. Jesus gives the bread of life. Again, we must look backward to look forward. Just as Jesus put into live action Psalm 23, here we are seeing Jesus reenact a scene from the Old Testament to show who he is. You can probably pick it out. Again, I want to draw our attention to to a unique, uh, interesting word combination Mark uses here. He He says they're in a desolate place. We've noted already before that another way we can translate this is wilderness. It's the same word, wilderness, desolate place. And remember earlier in Mark, we saw that Jesus, after being baptized, was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tested by God. To be tested, right? So this pointed to Israel being tested in the wilderness. And Jesus proved himself to be the true and better Israel. Well, what happened to Israel in the wilderness? When We think of Exodus 16. describes it this way, that God graciously rained down bread from heaven to satisfy the hunger of his wondering and complaining people. Manna from heaven sustained Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. God provided bread. Here, Jesus miraculously supplies bread for thousands in the wilderness. Jesus does what only God can do, and he uses his divine creative power to multiply this bread for 5,000-plus hungry people, and they are completely satisfied, physically revived. The magnitude of this miracle is staggering. But Jesus is not simply Interested in satisfying physical hunger. The, the picture is absolutely clear. Jesus is putting himself in the position of Yahweh giving bread to his people in the wilderness, and Yahweh desires to satisfy your soul. Psalm 107. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Apart from God, this world is a trackless waste. A wilderness that we wander through going from earthly pleasure to earthly pleasure and we still come away hungry. We eat the pleasures of the earth, the approval of man, various idols, sins we hold on to, material things, careers that we put our identity in, relationships that we put our identity in, achievements, self-expression. This will satisfy my soul. It will not. You will come away hungry. The amazing thing is I ate breakfast this morning and I'm, I'm kind of getting a little hungry right now, right? This is, <laughs> with physical food, this is what happens. That is what the things of this earth, the world apart from Christ, the idols it offers are food that you will eat. And you will just find yourself hungrier and hungrier every time you take a bite. It will never satisfy you. You will find yourself starving. But when by God's grace you find yourself, after tasting of all that the world has to offer, all the pleasures it has to offer, and you're still hungry, and you turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, give me this bread. Give me this bread from heaven that I may eat of it. I don't want to hunger anymore. What is his response? We read it earlier. Believe in the one whom God has sent. Here's here's the twist that I'm sure we've all picked up by now. It's not a mystery. Jesus is not only the giver of this bread. Jesus is the bread from heaven. Jesus is the bread of life. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. If, you know, can't help but do a uh, Lord of the Rings reference here, right? Um, Lambus bread, right? You could eat that, and a man, a tall man could go for a full day's work. This is the bread of life that you never grow hungry again after eating it. This is what all of this is meant to point forward to. Jesus points back to Psalm 23 to show that he is God, the good shepherd. Jesus points back to Exodus 16 to show that he is God, the giver of bread and sustainer of life. And Jesus points back to say this. Yes, I am God. I am your good shepherd. I am Yahweh who gives you bread. And I have come to give my life for you. That you may eat of me and this bread and never hunger or thirst again. You will live forever. This whole scene points forward now, right? Right? You can't help but see the Lord's Supper in Mark 14, where Jesus does the same thing. He takes the bread, and after saying a blessing, he breaks it and gives it to his disciples and said, Take, this is my body, and take the cup of, of the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of many. This miracle is meant to point us directly to the cross. Jesus is the bread. We should have had communion this week. So Jesus gives the bread, gives his life to satisfy the hunger of your soul with his love. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Be the propitiation for our sins. So I want to ask a question that it may seem like we've already answered. Why did Jesus, why did he do all of this? You might say, Well, yeah, absolutely, we've answered that. He does it to show that he's the shepherd, he does it to show that he's the bread, he does it to 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 show that he gives his life. And if you take of him, you'll live forever. To show the full extent of his love for lost and for lost humanity. And this, this certainly reflects our theme this morning, as we've already pointed out. But, so let's ask it in a different way. Who does Jesus do this for? Here in Mark, who is he doing this for? Well, if we read in light of Psalm 23, which I think we see now that this is appropriate, we read this. Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So here's a point of application for us. You, as a disciple, are called to show and share Jesus' name. Disciples in this scene are, are actually the ones who set the bread before the people, right? Jesus gives them the bread, and they set it before the people. This is a metaphor for what they're going to be doing. You, as a disciple, are to set the gospel before others. This happens in two ways. Discipleship inside the church... In evangelism, church planting, missions, spreading the gospel outside the church. Inside the church, you are divinely empowered, divinely dependent distributors, waiters, servers of God's name when you share this bread of life, Christ, with fellow members of the church when you show Christ to them. Outside the church, you are divinely empowered, divinely dependent Distributor of God's name when you share this bread of life with the lost. This is who you are. DGCC, you are called to spread God's name by showing and sharing the bread, by showing and sharing Christ's life with one another as his disciples. And you are called to to share Christ's life as his witnesses with those in your neighborhood. Charlotte, around the globe. But there's another point of application that we must draw out here. We can't miss it. There's there's a verse we haven't really touched on yet. Do you see it? It actually has to do with what we don't see. Notice the end result of this great miracle uh, is not what we normally have seen in Mark. Usually people are moved to wonder and Moved in amazement, they're staggered by what they've seen. Here Mark chooses to highlight none of that. It's as if the people eat and don't even know. He doesn't highlight any of the amazement. And we know that, as we've read in John, that people were amazed. So why why is Mark doing this? Well, notice how, how the passage ends in verse forty three. And they took up 12 baskets, full of broken, 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. So the disciples end up with baskets full of leftover bread and fish. Now, on a practical note, they probably uh, each had a basket that they were serving out of, right? There's something more going on here, and it's absolutely not a false prosperity gospel. It's not if you do all these things and have great faith and obedience, because we already know their faith is meager at this point. It's not that if you do all these things, you're going to have all the material supply you need. That is not what is going on here. True, it may have sustained them for a little while, and that is a kindness. But, but what, 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 if that's not what's going on here, what is this about? Why this, these extra baskets? It's this. Jesus has the disciples set the bread before the people for the sake of his name. But Jesus sets the bread before them for the sake of his name in their lives. We just saw last week the disciples go off on mission. And we noted, this was in part, of Jesus's plan. He called the disciples to go and do all these things in his authority, preach, cast out demons, heal the sick. But what was the first thing Jesus called the disciples to? What was the first thing he called the 12 to? That they might be with him. You cannot. You cannot do this. The disciples cannot do this the mission they're called to, if they are not eating this bread too. Jesus performs this great miracle in an impossible situation and in a final twist sets the baskets full of bread down in front of them and says, you need to eat this bread. Yes, I did this for them in compassion for them, but you need to eat of this bread You need to know me as Yahweh, your shepherd. You need to know me as the bread of life. See the love with which I love you. Taste and eat. You cannot show and share Christ, and you will not, if you do not see and taste the bread yourself. You never, never, we never outgrow the gospel of Jesus. We have to know, we have to be convinced over and over and over again that yes, we have eaten bread that leads to eternal life. We don't need to eat these other things. This is the love of God for you and Jesus. Eat this bread. It is for you. Only then, when we've seen and tasted, can we then go and show and share who Christ is. DGCC, Jesus is your shepherd. He is bread for you. In a completely uncertain and really impossible situation, 2,000 years ago, over, Jesus did this for his disciples to show them who he was and say, I am your shepherd, I am your bread. And he did this 2,000 years ago in history, real time, so that 2,000 years later we can see this and, and hear him say, this bread is for you, even if you're my disciple. This is for you. See him, know him, see the love that he has for you. So, to bring this circle God orchestrates seasons of uncertainty seasons that look like they are filled with circumstances that are impossible to overcome and God uses these seasons to convince those not in Christ that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy the hunger of your soul in the midst of all the uncertainty there is nothing but Jesus the bread of life and in the lives of disciples Christians, God uses these seasons to call us to greater faith, that we might grasp the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. And He calls us in the church to see this and then show this to one another, share this with one another, and share it with the world. That's the only way we can love. We love because he first loved us. We, DGCC, will only love because he first loved us. Taste and see that the Lord is good. She pray with me.